you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want to go together to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And it's fun being down here on the floor with you. I haven't been able to do that yet today. Let me get all up in your personal space, all up in your business, as they say. We began something this morning, and uh, each service has had its, its own direction. We've started each one here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, but it's been layer upon layer, building upon a foundation, and I believe this has been the direction of the Lord, and I believe it's significant to you, to this body, and the things that are coming for this church. Now, anybody who would hear it, I believe, can learn from it and grow with it, uh, but I do believe that this is tailor-made for you today. Have you ever worn clothes that were made for you? I, I, I think one time, maybe two, I've had a, an actual suit or something that we went and had made. And there's, you can find something that fits, that's easy. But to have something that was made for you and cut for you and you were measured for it and it didn't exist before you got measured for it. You understand what I'm saying? That's something else entirely. And I believe with my whole heart that there are things coming out in this today that are tailor-made for this place and those who would hear it. You believe that? So let's begin again in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to read a couple of verses to you here, beginning in verse 20. In a great house, he says, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel. He'll be a vessel. We mentioned this earlier, but I want to remind you that Paul uses this terminology in more than one place about being a vessel. He wrote to the church at Corinth about them being what he called earthen vessels. You study and it literally means a cheap clay pot. I'm not trying to insult you this morning, but that's what you are. Can I see the hands of all the cheap clay pottery in here? That's you. That's me. That's what he called us, earthen vessels. But he went on to say, we're earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Or in other words, what makes us unique, what makes us valuable and precious is not the vessel, but it's what's inside it. It's the treasure, he said, that's hidden in it. There's treasure in that vessel. So again, he's talking here about being a vessel, but he's talking about being a vessel of honor, being a vessel that's sanctified. The word sanctified just simply means set apart. If we were in a group of 100 people and I went and I grabbed you and I pulled you out of it and put you up on this stage, then the 99 would be out there and there'd be one here. That's what it is to be sanctified, just separated. As a matter of fact, that's what the church literally means, the ecclesia, the called out ones. That's who we are. You ever get the feeling you're a little strange? Do you know why you get that feeling? Because you are. You are. We're all just a little strange. We're all not normal. But here's the deal. It's nothing to be depressed over because normal is sick. Normal is depressed, normal is broke, normal has no hope, normal has no future, and if that's normal, I don't want to be normal. Call me strange, man. I'll be the strangest one in the bunch. We're separated. We're the called out ones, and God said in his word, I have called you out from among them. Be separate, he said. That's what holiness means. A lot of people have taken it to mean a lot of different things, but holiness just means you don't blend in. 
you don't look like everybody else. So this is the kind of vessel he's talking about being sanctified. And what else? Useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Useful for the master, prepared for the work. Say that with me. Useful for the master, prepared for the work. Man, that's what you want to be. That's what I want to be. Now, the fact is we are right now, and this cannot be changed or undone. We are right now deeply, madly, passionately loved by Jesus. That's who we are, man. That is who we are, and you can't undo it. People have tried. <laughs> They've tried their best to out his love, to run from it, to do everything they could to make God just to get away from him. I mean, the day Peter met him, or early on in their relationship, I should say, when Jesus told him to throw his net over there, and he said, well, you know, I fished all night and didn't catch anything, but at your word... You remember what happened, right? They had a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fish. And what did Peter do? Fell on his knees and said to Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What's he trying to do? He's aware of his sin, conscious of how sinful he is, and he's trying to get Jesus away from him. What's Jesus saying? You ain't getting rid of me. I'm not leaving you. He went on to say, I'll never leave you. So you see, we can't make him stop loving us. You can't undo it. But what we need to understand, as wonderful as that is, there's still a difference between someone he loves and someone he can use. Just because he loves you doesn't necessarily mean he can use you. I don't mean this to be a heavy or a sad word this morning. I, I want it to be challenging to you the same way it challenged me months ago when I was sitting out on a balcony on vacation with Sarah, early our first morning on vacation. We got out there and I'm sitting out there with my Bible and I'm looking out over the pool and the palm trees and the ocean, and the beach is there, making me want to go right now. But I'm sitting out there with my Bible and I'm looking at this verse and I hear the Lord speaking to me and in the modern English version of this of this scripture, it talks about being sanctified, but he uses this word, be fit for the master's use. Fit for the master's use. The word that got translated useful here is also translated fit. Everybody say useful and say fit. I mean the same thing. If something fits you, you can use it, right? If it's fitting, it's appropriate. It can be used. It's useful to you. We'll see this more in Scripture coming up. But I heard the Lord talking to me, and he gave me a challenge and gave me a charge and said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. I'm 37 years old right now. So he has created for me this three-year window. And on one hand, it excites me because I realize, hey, something's coming. Something's coming. I don't know full well what it is yet, but something's coming. 40 is coming. <laughs> now, some of you may have already gotten there and crossed that, and you're like, big deal. For the rest of us, for they're the, still yet to get there. It's, it's coming, you know, and I, I, I don't know what it is about 40. Maybe you experienced that, but it, it's staring me in the face. I'm excited about it, but I'm, I'm older right now than I've ever been before in my life. It's a <laughs> strange thing. 
But it excites me to realize that there's something coming, a, a new step, a new phase of life, ministry, whatever it is. But right on the other hand, I understand that when the Lord says this to me, what he's saying by default is, Jeremy, you need to get fit. Or in other words, you're not right now. I can't give you this thing right now that I've got in store for you because if I did, you're not ready for it. It's the mercy of God, folks, that, that we don't have the things sometimes that we think we have to have right now. Sometimes it is the mercy of God that we don't have it. Why? Because we're not ready for it. That could be anything. It could be it could be a spouse. It could be finances. It could be a job that you think you just need. God, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And he's saying, hey, I want you to have it, but you are not ready for this. But the good news is if you're not ready, you can get ready. You can get into a shape where Jesus says, I love you. I've called you and I can use you. Man, that's what I want to hear right there. That's what my life is entirely about. Hearing those words, Jesus saying to me, Jeremy, I can use you. You with me so far? Yes. So let's, uh, let's keep looking at this. The, the other scripture we've used here as a, as a foundation is in the book of Luke. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> you know, you took a real risk in coming to the third service today. You know that, right? <laughs> Why is that? There's not a service after this. <laughs> and I'm not trying to scare you, but... You know, my grandfather, also a preacher, been preaching a long time. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he was in a service where he preached six hours. The man turns 80 next month. He preached six hours. So it's in my blood. I'm not trying to scare you or nothing. But I will say I have completely turned off my clock. But don't be alarmed. Surely we'll be out by Monday. Okay, Luke, Luke chapter 9. Let's look at verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, talking about Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is a, this is a strange response to this statement. And I encourage you to go back and get the services that we've already done this morning because each one's a little different, but I, I feel the, the, the need to go over this again. This is bad marketing on Jesus' part here. Somebody says to you, I'll follow you wherever you go. Your response should be, you know, that's awesome. Come on, we're going to have a great time. You're going to see things nobody's ever seen. You're going to experience things no man has ever experienced. It'll change your life. You'll never be the same again. Come see the world with me. But this guy says, hey, I'm with you. And Jesus says, really? Because uh, foxes have holes and birds have a place to sleep, but I don't got anywhere to lay my head. Now, there's a lot more meaning in that than just the surface of it, but Regardless, I think what's happening here is Jesus is basically saying there are those who say they're committed, then there are those who are actually committed. And we experience this in ministry. I know your pastors could attest to this. When I was a young man on staff with my parents in their church, there were folks that came and said, hey, we're with you forever. We're never leaving. This is our home. And the first, you know, eight or 10 times you hear it, you think, that's awesome. Wow. But then when all those people are gone next month and you're like, what happened to I'm never leaving? It finally just got to the place where people would come and say, hey, I'm never leaving. It was like, stop, don't say that. Those words, those are jinxed, cursed words. Don't say it. 
You think to yourself, if you're not leaving, just, just stay. You don't even have to say anything about it. Just keep showing up. So Jesus is, I believe, in that same spirit responding to this, these, you know, gusto words, Lord, I'm with you forever, wherever you go. Verse 59, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is what? Fit for the kingdom of God. What's the word fit mean? You remember? Useful. He's saying no one who's put his hand to the plow and who keeps looking back is useful to me. Now, let's go over this real quickly. Do you suppose that the people Jesus is interacting with here are loved by him? Of course they are. These are human beings. These are creation, the masterpiece creation of God. Do you suppose Jesus loves them? Absolutely he does. Now, let's add a layer to that. They're not just loved by him. They're called by him. These guys got what precious few received. And that was a face-to-face invitation from the mouth of Jesus himself. You follow me. There are those who heard that and yielded to it. There were those who heard it and said no. Do you notice these guys didn't say no? They just said, that sounds great, but let me first go and do this. Let me first go take care of some issues at home. Let me first go say farewell to those that are at my house. Let me first, let me first, let me first. And if you know anything about God, if you know anything about Jesus and the word and living for him, then you know this, it's not me first. What is it? Kingdom first. Kingdom first. Seek ye first, what? More income? Seek ye first more establishing in your own business, in your own home, in your own family. You hear the call of God, okay, God, that's awesome, and I will do that, but let me first get the kids through school. Let me first make some extra money. Let me first get my business off the ground and running. Let me first, and what's Jesus saying? I love you. I've called you, but I can't use you. Not in that condition, not in that shape. Let me first? No, 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 no. Kingdom first. What are we talking about? Being ready. Being ready. If there's still something to do before doing what God called you to do, are you ready? No. We laughed about this earlier today, but I ask Sarah sometimes when we're getting ready to, oh, she's looking at me. I'm going to come over here. (laughs) When When we're getting ready to go out, some night and we've got a place to be, dinner reservations, movie starts at eight, whatever. Hey, are you ready to go? And without fail, every time. Yeah, I just need to get dressed. And I say to her, if you still have to get dressed, you're not ready. You can't say, yeah, I'm ready and I got to get dressed. You can't say, yeah, I'm ready. I just got to do my makeup. Yeah, I'm ready. I just got to feed the kids. Yeah, I'm ready. I just got to, if if there's something else to do, you're not ready. Right? All the gentlemen said, amen. Okay. Thanks guys. Hanging me out to dry this morning. Night. But if there's still something to do before you're ready, 
then you're not ready. Almost ready is exactly the same thing as what? Not ready. Not ready. And that's what these guys are telling Jesus. I'm almost ready. They didn't say no. They didn't tell him no. But according to Jesus, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. There were those who did tell him no. They're saying, hey, I'll follow you, but let me first go do this. They're not ready. He's saying, I can't use you. And I don't want to go back over everything we've already covered, but, but this is worth saying again. He said, those who put their hand to the plow and look back. There's this attachment. They're saying, I got to go back home. I got to go back to my dad. I got to go back to my family. I got to go say farewell to them. There's this, there's this attachment. And you compare that to the guys who who later became his disciples when Jesus looked at them and said the same two words, follow me. And they immediately, the scripture said, dropped their nets and left their father. A couple of them were in the boat with dad. Dad's name was Zebedee. They left Z just standing there. Jesus said, follow me. And, and for whatever reason, they saw in Jesus what others couldn't or others wouldn't or others didn't. And they saw in him the ability to replace beyond whatever they were holding on to and satisfy them with more. And they left their nets. I don't think it's any coincidence that they left their net. Think about what a net means to us. Somebody who's up on a, a tightrope, balancing on this thing, walking across, they're four stories high. And they think, wow, that's amazing. Look what they can do. But you look just beneath them a little ways and there's, there's what? A net. So it takes some talent, yeah, but is it really that risky? There's always something there to fall on. And that's what the net represents. These guys left that. And honestly, that's what home represents for a lot of people. Home represents, especially for young people, 17, 18 years old, 19 years old, and it's time to start taking that step out. And it, it's daunting, and it can be fearful, and it can be uh, challenging to them. Why? Because, you know, when I'm here, food is here. I just show up at a table, and somebody for 18 years has put food there. I've never had to pay for it. I've never had to work for it. Where'd these clothes come from? I don't know, but I like it. You know, and for the first time in their life, they're thinking about leaving what's been safe. And they're leaving that. And there are people, though, still who have heard the call of God on their lives and have gotten the same thing that these guys got, the voice of Jesus saying, follow me, follow me. And it's hard to let go. If I do that, what, what, what about the state of our finances? And that's why they're like, okay, let me first make some extra money. Let me first get the kids through school, let me first, all these things we talked about. So today you got to start identifying what net have you been hanging on to? What net has been safety and security for you? Because to, to quote a woman named Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman, she said, God delights in his children stepping out over the aching void with nothing beneath their feet but the word of God. You know why he delights in that? Because that's called faith. And he loves faith. He loves it. 
He just gets giddy when you get in faith. It's just his favorite part. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to please him without it. It's, it's impossible. You cannot please him without faith, and it's his favorite part. Your favorite part and mine is when faith becomes sight. That's not his favorite part. His favorite part is when it's still not sight, and you trust in him anyway, and you believe in him anyway, and you're saying, Jesus, I've let go of every net. I've let go of everything that was so-called security and safety, and you, sir, are my net. You're the one who picks me up. You're the one who sustains me, and if I fall by your mercy, you are there to catch me and you put me up again that's what he delights in and that's somebody he can use that's somebody who's in shape and ready to go but when you put your hand to that plow maybe you didn't realize how difficult plowing could be maybe you didn't realize how hard this ground was that you had to cultivate and dig up before the seed could ever penetrate and produce a crop produce a harvest I don't know if you've ever started anything before, but there's ground to plow. And we've been in churches, we've been in places, and thank God, not like, not this one, but others that it just felt like you're plowing something, you're plowing something. Why has it been so easy for Sarah and I over the last several hours today to just stand here and unload because somebody has plowed? And you're in a part of the country that's traditionally very stoic, uh, traditionally very, very religious in their tradition. And they are plowing ground and plowing ground and saying, no, we're not following tradition. We're going to dig this thing up and seeds are going to penetrate. And there's going to be a harvest of souls. There's going to be a harvest of people and family and life. And I'm so thankful that people like that exist that are willing to plow and plow and plow and don't look back at home every time it gets hard. See, I happen to know this about your pastors. They came out of a church, were launched out of a church that was just growing and thriving and prospering, and they had safe jobs. Am I right about this guy? Secure. And here, I've got an idea. Let's leave all that. Quick, what? What are you saying? (laughs) Are you kidding me right now? But that was the leading of the Lord. And what's he saying? Okay, now you go plow. You got to reap from somebody else's plowing, now you plow. And how easy would it have been in those first few days to be like, uh, we're going back home. We're going back to daddy's house. We're going back to mama's house. We ate better there. But Jesus is saying, I can't use anybody who's going to give up on me the first time their faith gets challenged. The first time the enemy comes and says to him, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Should you have done this? Oh, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you made a mistake. The first time there's some spiritual warfare that's taken place. The first time there's some things that stretch in their faith. He, he can't use somebody that's just going to throw in the towel. He's got to use people who, even though it gets hard, are so dependent on the same grace that called them to sustain them. And you can come to the place where, yes, it's hard on your flesh, but if you'll rest in that grace, his yoke will be easy and his burden will be light. And the same thing that caused others to quit, you can come to the place where you hardly even notice it anymore, just pressing through, pressing through, pressing through. Praise God. Amen? Anybody want to be in this kind of condition? So we're talking about being ready, being in shape. This morning in this last session... I want to take a turn here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25 together. 
I want to talk to you about being ready for more. Ready for more. You are where you are in the Lord because at one point or another, you were ready for whatever got you here. You understand what I'm saying by that? You have at your t- in your life at one time or another been ready for whatever the first step was. Maybe it was just being born again, but your heart was right, your heart was open, and you got ready. Father, I'm, my heart's prepared to receive Jesus. And he came in, he moved in, and he began to change you. Maybe you took another step of faith and you, you joined this church or you took a step of faith and you, you started a business or you started a ministry or something. You, you started something. You were willing to plow a little bit. But now what? Are you ready for more? It's one thing to be ready for whatever got you here, but who's interested in staying? I don't want to just stay. I don't want to be stagnant. Our lives should be characterized by forward motion. We walk by faith. We don't stand still by faith. And we certainly don't look back and go back by faith. We walk, we move forward by faith and not by sight. So how do we get ready for more? Ready for increase? I want to look at some things Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. You still with me? All right, here we go. 12 o'clock crowd. You can do it. Whoop, whoop. Verse 14. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods. Whose goods are they? His goods. He delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So get the picture here. Here's a guy, he owns a company, has employees, evidently very, very wealthy because Jesus is using figures that automatically just boggle the mind. I think sometimes we've heard this and imagined that five talents was, you know, five coins. Or we've drawn the parallel to, you know, whatever talent, whatever gift the Lord's given you. That's not what that means. The word talent is a measurement of weight. And he said he gave one five talents, another two, another one. One talent alone, I wrote this down in my Bible after studying, you can see this, that one talent alone, a talent of gold, is worth somewhere between 15 to 20 years wages. So go ahead and let him stretch your thinking right now a little bit, okay? This guy's got five that he's given to one. So we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of what? what is that, 75 to 100 years wages for one individual? Okay. To another, he's given two. To another, he's given one. Everybody got something, but not everybody got the same something. And he gave to each according to his ability. His ability, what he was able to handle, what he was able to work with. Then he who had received, verse 16, who had received five talents, went and traded with them, made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two talents gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, You delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. In verse 21, his Lord said to him, watch this, 
well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Woohoo! Who wants to work for this guy? Absolutely, man. Are you kidding me? When people are just stuck in thankless jobs all over the place, and no matter how good a job you do, it seems like your supervisor's just always finding some sort of fault with you, or maybe you do good and he takes the credit for it. How great would it be to work for somebody that actually celebrated your victory and actually promoted you in the light of how good and faithful you've been? Notice he called them two things, good and faithful. Celebrated them, well done, way to go. He said, enter into the joy of your Lord. That's the welcome home party. This guy's been gone a long time. I'm throwing a party. I want you to come. I want you to come to the party. He said, you've been faithful in a few things. I'm making you ruler over much. What's that? Promotion, increase, raise. Who wants to work for this guy? Let me see the show of hands. Who would not mind working for this guy? Guy who had been given two shows up. What's he say? Exact same thing. You gave me two. I went and traded. Here's two more. And what's his boss say? Well, that's good. Not quite as good as a guy with five. Is that what he said? No. Who remembers? What did he say? Well done! Called him two things. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. This guy didn't make even near as, not even half as much as the guy before him. But he got the same celebration. He got the same promotion. He got increase. But what about this third guy? He comes in. Where are we at here? Verse 24, he who had received the one talent came and said, got this whole little speech ready. Uh, Lord, here's the deal. I knew you to be a hard man. Hmm. Amplified Bible says, I knew you to be a hard and harsh man. Now, wait a second. What did we just find out about this guy? Well done, good and faithful, faithful over few, ruler over much, here's a raise, here's a promotion. He's throwing a party for these guys, excited about them. Does this sound like a hard and harsh man? But notice what the guy with one talent came in and said, I knew this about you. I knew that you were hard and harsh. Now stop for a moment and think back what we know from the beginning of the parable. Everybody got something, but they all got it based on their individual ability. Now here's the thing about ability. It can grow, right? Whatever you're good at now, maybe you had a propensity for it earlier in your life, but if you stuck with it, you developed in it, you grew and you grew and you grew, and it's the same thing, but now you're more able in it than you were before. What's that the result of? Nothing but time. Nothing but faithfulness and diligence. Ability can grow. So if you'll allow me to here, let's read into this a little bit. What does, why would one guy have more ability than another guy? Why would one get five, another get two, another get one? Why, why would their abilities be different? 
Would it stand to reason that maybe one was more developed in it than another? You ever been in a job where there's a guy that was working there and he's been there longer than anybody else and you've seen him get promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted and just by reason of time, he's perfected something? Time, ability, it can grow. You're not stuck with the measure of ability that you have right now. You're not stuck with that. Whatever grace he's given you can grow. You can grow in that grace. How do I know that? Because Jesus grew in his. From birth, the grace of God was on him. The scripture tells us that he, the child grew in grace, grew in wisdom, grew in stature, grew in favor with God and with men. And you know why you don't see any miracles coming out of the hands of toddler Jesus? Because he's not done growing in grace. You want to know why Jesus isn't out there walking across the surface of the kiddie pool? He's not done growing in grace. Why teenage Jesus isn't delivering sermons high on hills or standing in a boat? You want to know why there's no dead being raised by 18-year-old Jesus? He's still growing in grace and growing in grace and growing in grace. And we catch up with him at 30 years old. And that's where John says, we all beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full and overflowing with grace. The word became flesh and we saw it. Overflow with grace. What's overflow? That's too much. That's, there's a difference between full and overflowing. Jesus spent 30 years filling up with a grace until it finally just one drop overflowed. And every miracle was an overflow of that grace. Every message was an overflow of that grace. Every manifestation of the glory of God on this earth through him was, a, was, the, was an overflow of the grace he'd spent 30 years growing in. Would you say his ability as a 30-year-old was different as, from his ability as a 2-year-old? Grace was on him then, same as it was at 30, but he had grown in it. Increased ability. Increased ability. So you can draw some of those same parallels here. You've got different people with different ability. And the one who got one talent, you know this, he had at least some ability. Or else his master wouldn't have given it to him. But he came in and he said, I knew you to be a hard and a harsh man. Just knew this about you. I, I was just persuaded, just convinced that this is who you are. That's bad information. That's bad information about who this Lord is. And, and just so we're on the same page, who is the Lord in this parable? The Lord. <laughs> it's not a long line to draw. How many people are living with bad information about God that are just convinced he's hard, convinced he's harsh? How many are convinced that he's the one doing the killing? How many are persuaded that he's the one that took their mother through cancer, that robbed them of their father through this disease or the other? How many are just persuaded that he's the one that sent the storm? We don't know why God chose to do this, but he's sovereign. What are they saying? I knew this about you. And what's the, what's, what's the result of that? 
I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And what he's saying, verse 25, and I was afraid. People are afraid of God because they're living with bad information on who he is. And you might think that, that you know, God would approach this in, 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 a, in a real soft and kind of tender way and say, oh, no, 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 you, you, you misunderstand. But that's not what you see coming out of this guy's mouth here. He said, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. He said, look, there you have what is yours. Kind of like, um, so, you know, ta-da, <laughs> here you go. Are you happy? I mean, he knows he's made a mistake. But his Lord said to him, what? In verse 26, his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Everybody got called two things. The first two guys got called good and faithful. This guy got called wicked and lazy. Now, here's the deal. Lazy, I understand. Because we already know this guy got given something according to his ability. And he didn't act on the ability he had. That's laziness. That's laziness. To not act on what you're already presently able to do. That's just laziness. But what about wicked? Why wicked? Well, if you understand what the word wicked means, it literally means twisted. You ever heard of wicker furniture? What is that? It's furniture, that, that, that material, that wood has been twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted, and it's, it's got that wicker finish to it. That's the same thing as wicked, twisted. What's been twisted here? The very nature of God and who He is. He is a good, gracious, kind, and merciful God, and He's being called hard and harsh. And he's got strong words for those who would malign his character. This is wicked and lazy. So what's he say? You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown, I gather where I've not scattered seed, so you ought, have de- you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. He's like, if you knew this, if you knew how I did things, why'd you bury it? You should have at least gone to the bank. Don't you know this guy was like, the bank. The bank. Why didn't I go to the bank? What, what are banks for? You put money there. What was I thinking? Stupid, stupid, stupid. What was I doing? And here's the point. Here's the lesson here. Fear will make you do stupid things. Now, there's a prosperity lesson in this. Fear, living in fear over your finances, will make you do stupid things with your finances. Can I tell you what's something stupid to do with your money? Not tithe. Not sow. Not be a giver. But fear, fear of not having enough, Fear of running out is going to cause you to hold on. 
And you think to yourself, if you just knew, if you just knew what sowing did, if you just knew what generosity, what kind of doors it would open for you, you'd think, why didn't I just give? I didn't have to give it all. He asked for 10%. That belongs to him. And anything beyond that, he just left completely up to me and to the leading of his spirit within me. And all I did was hold on to it. Stupid, 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 stupid. Fear in any area of your life will make you do dumb things in that area of your life. And that's exactly what's happened here. But I want you to see what the result of all this is. He said in verse 28, Therefore, Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. Now that just does not seem fair. It just doesn't seem fair. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not socialistic and it's not communistic. Jesus is not about just making sure everybody's got exactly the same. That's not... That's not what Jesus is about. That's not how he does things. You hear this from him in more than one place. He said, everyone who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he does have will be taken from him. And you think, Jesus, that just doesn't sound fair. But is he fair? Yes. Is he righteous in doing this? Is he right in what he's doing here? Absolutely he's right. Absolutely he's righteous. What is it these guys who prospered, what do they have that the other didn't? Here's where it is. You ready? They had a revelation of the man they were working for. And when you read about this in other places, Matthew 13, where Jesus said these same things, to him who has more will be given, to him who does not, even what he has will be taken from him. The whole thing was centered around having a revelation of who Jesus, ha- who Jesus is. If you've got that as your foundation, more can be given to you. You're ready for more. Increased ability. Ten talents is wonderful. Eleven is better. That's more ability. That's more ability. These guys have a revelation of who they're working for. As a matter of fact, I can prove this to you. The word faithful, you remember what he called them? You're faithful? That word, if you look it up, literally means true to the original. True to the original. Have you ever seen a movie that was a faithful adaptation of a book? You understand what I'm saying? It, 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 it went just the way the, the book did. It ended just the way the book did. The story was the same. It's a faithful rendering of it. Faithful. Have you ever seen somebody who painted something by looking at something else? It's a faithful rendering of that. It looks like that. It matches that. That's what faithful means. It means true to the original. So what's Jesus saying here? God is putting something in your hand. Now, many people have heard this parable and thought that the point was, God's given you something, just do something with it. Just do something with it. Just do something with it. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying just do something with it. He's saying you do with it what he would do with it if it were in his hand. Because he delivered to you his goods and he expects you to do with it what he would do with it. He expects you to know what he would do with it and then do that. That's how you're ready for more. 
when you know what the assignment is on what he's given you. When you know that what he's given you, there's an assignment on every dollar. There's an assignment on every resource, every asset that he's put in your hand, and it's up to you to be true to the original. I'm going to do with this in my hand what he would do with it were it in his. How could anybody turn their business over to somebody that they know good and well has no idea what they would do with it? Right? I mean... What, what about a pastor who's been in a church for 30 years and it comes time to transition to the next phase of his life and who's he turn it over to? Somebody from the new members class? No. Why? Good guy, probably. Glad to have you here. But you don't know me. And I don't know you. And I'm not turning something over to somebody who has no idea what to do with it. You ever wonder where your financial increase has been? I've wondered where mine has been at times. Lord, what's the deal? I believe this, and I have to come back to this. Do I know what he wants done with it? Because if I don't, then I'm not ready for it. That's what makes you ready for more, knowing what he wants done with it. Let's stay with our church example here. How about an increase of people? I mean, if this principle is true with money, how much more is it true with people? Pastors going, Lord, where are the people? Where are the people? Where are the people? The church isn't full. And God's going, I'd give them to you, but you have no idea what I would do with them if they were in my church. I can't bring you people until I know that you know how I would treat them. Which is a testimony to the church we're standing in right now. We're in a third service, folks. That means God's bringing people. Evidently, y'all know what he wants done with them. Oh, come on. That's awesome. He can trust you with the increase. You're ready for more. You're ready for more, but sadly, many people aren't there. They're just not there. And, and listen to what he said. Here's the kicker right here. Verse 30. He said, cast the what? unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Unprofitable. Look at, look at it in the New Living Translation. You can put it up there if you have it. I'll say this to you and close. In the New Living Translation, he says, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness. Yikes. Basically, Jesus is saying... You know, you're fired. You are fired. There's, I, can't, I can't use you. Not in this shape, not in this condition. I can't turn things over to you. I can't give you more than what I gave you because you didn't do with what I gave you what I'd want to done with it. I know this is heavy. I know it's not jump up and shout, but are we reading Scripture? Are we reading Scripture? Jesus called this guy, this no revelation, no idea who God is, misinformed guy. He said, you are unprofitable, and I can't use you. But glory to God, the good news is you can change. You can change. And it begins by changing your revelation of who he is. 
if you've called him hard, if you've called him harsh, if you've accused him of being the thief, the one who has stolen from you, you can change that right now. You can be persuaded and convinced right now in an instant, you are not the thief. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, you came that I'd have life and have it more abundantly. And if I was stolen from, I don't blame you. I don't accuse you. That was the enemy of my soul. That was my accuser. And together, you, Jesus, you and me, we're getting back what he stole from me. You're the one who increases me. You are the one who blesses me. You're the giver of life, not the taker of life. You call him good. Don't you twist his identity? Don't you twist what he calls good into evil? The scripture said that. Woe to you who call good evil and evil good. Don't twist that. That's wickedness. And whatever he's put in your hand, you want more of it? Anybody want to increase? I'm ready for it. I want it. So here's what we got to do. Take what he's given us, find out what he wants done with it, and do that. Sarah was encouraging our staff just days ago. She said, look, if, we're, if we don't have the money we need and we don't have the stuff we need, it's because we're not doing with the money we have and the stuff that we have what he wants done with it. Do that and the rest will be there. And that's just the truth. That's just the way it is. Whatever area of your life you seem to be lacking in or you seem to be stuck in, go back to the Lord. Get honest with him and let him be honest with you and find out. Did you give me something I didn't do the right thing with it? Is my plan off? Find out what it is. Commit to it. Commit your way to the Lord, the Bible says, and you will prosper. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray over this.